Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Arachmim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love and your uh, compassion for us. We thank you that you are a God who uh, nonstop loves and cherishes your people, that everything we do, everything that you do for us is done because of your love and your faithfulness. <coughs> Father, I ask that you breathe faithfully into our hearts and our lives today as we open up your word and that you will speak boldly into us. May it be your voice heard, your word received, nothing in me involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua Messiah we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen. I noticed that uh, apparently I'm changing a graphic uh, on the, uh, for the Parsha, so uh, you're going to see a blank screen behind me. Um, but don't worry, my screen's live, so we're good. Uh, so this is I guess it's not morning anymore, right? This afternoon, officially. Uh, I want to talk to you uh, from Parsha Bayeret, which is this week's Torah Parsha, uh, the second Parsha of Shemot of the book of Exodus. Um, and if you've read through the Parsha this week, you'll notice that uh, this is the beginning of the plagues. We see seven uh, of the, the ten plagues that are put on Egypt in this week's Parsha. We see is, uh, Moses wrestling with Israel, trying to get Israel to get over themselves and to trust in the Lord. We see him wrestling with Pharaoh and trying to get Pharaoh to get over himself and uh, do what the Lord says. As a matter of fact, I always love this uh, there's just something about seeing the Word of God uh, in its original language and recognizing that there's something deeper to the reality of what he's saying than what we see specifically in the English. And so in verse 11, uh, actually beginning in verse 10 uh, in chapter 6 of Exodus, it says, So Adonai told Moses, go speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he will let Bnei Israel go out of the, his land. The Hebrew word here is actually shalach et ami, shalach et ami. It doesn't mean that he will let them out. But in Hebrew, it literally means that he will send them out. And so we recognize that while, while Moses is, is kind of asking Pharaoh for favor, as the Lord has commanded him to do, that the language that's being used is also prophetic. Because when we get to the, uh, the end of the plagues and the death of the firstborn, what we realize is that is exactly what Pharaoh did was he cast them out of the land. He was afraid that the entire nation was going to be wiped out and he sent them out as rapidly as he could. And, and the thing that I think is so interesting and so important here and the thing that I really want to hone on, hone in on this, uh, this, this morning in the message is the reality that the only way that you can be prophetic in the simplest That was fun. The only way you can be prophetic in proclaiming the word of the Lord when it's simple words that you're trying to use is if you are actually intimate with the Lord. If you have an intimate and direct personal relationship with the Lord. And, and that's one of the things that I think we overlook more often than not about Moses. And one of the things that I think we need to, to focus on, and a lot of times people kind of note where we read about Aaron and Miriam complaining against Moses, and they'll say, oh, well, you see, God says he speaks to Moses face to face like a man speaks to a man, and they'll go, so clearly there's some sort of deeper relationship, deeper, deeper connection there that the Lord is revealing, but... I actually think that that intimacy begins a lot earlier than that. I actually think it begins 
with last week's Parsha, when Moses experiences the presence of God at Mount Sinai. As a matter of fact, God tells him, hey, uh, Moses says, well, how will I know that you really sent me to do this? And, and the Lord says, when you bring my people back to this very mountain, back to this same place to worship me, then you will know that I sent you and that I paved the way for this to pan out and that I made this happen. And so uh, if we look at that, we recognize Moses was on Mount Sinai. Israel stands at the base of Mount Sinai when they have this interaction with the Shekhinah, the divine glory of the Lord. And beyond that, we recognize that they were uh, mirroring experiences. Moses sees the burning bush. The voice of the Lord comes forth from the burning bush. The nation of Israel sees the entire mountain ablaze and the voice of the Lord coming forth from the burning mountain, neither of which the bush nor the mountain was consumed by the fire of the Lord. And so we recognize that there's this mirror image, this connection, this correlation there. Uh, but the reality is, is what really birthed the foundation of that happening was Moses' willingness to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. And I don't think Moses was necessarily open to it in the beginning. When he saw that bush burning, it says he went over out of curiosity to see why in the world this thing wasn't being destroyed, right? And, and like I said last week, I think I would do the same thing. I'm kind of curious and stupid like that. Uh, I'm going to walk over and see what's going on. But then the voice of the Lord comes forth and he says, Moses. And Moses says, Hineni, here I am. Which is a word uh, in Hebrew that's used. It's actually a phrase and a word that's used in Hebrew numerous times throughout the scripture. And Hineni is a response. It's not just... Here I am, like your mom calls you and you're across the house and you try to, to, to let her know you heard her. But it's, here I am, what do I need to do for you? What can I do for you? What do you desire of me? Uh, we read it later where uh, uh, the, the prophet says, uh, here I am, send me, uh, speaking to the Lord. And so here in Exodus 6, as we begin this Parsha, Exodus 6 verse 2 says, God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am Adonai. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai. Yet my name, Adonai, did I not make myself, yet by my name, I'll let you read one day, Adonai, did I not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage where they journeyed. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of B'nai Israel. When the Egyptians are, uh, whom the Egyptians are keeping in bondage. So I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to B'nai Israel, and if you remember from the Passover Seder, this is the four promises that we mentioned with the four cups of wine in the Passover Seder. It says, therefore, say to B'nai Israel, I am Adonai. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with great judgment, I will take you to myself as a people, and I will be your God. I think the most important part of that promise isn't the redemption from slavery. It isn't the freedom. It isn't the, the uh, seeing that happen by the might and power of the arm of God. Uh, but I think the most important part of the promises we read about here in these four promises is that last line, verse 7. I will take you to myself as a people. And I will be your God. Ultimately, when we get to Mount Sinai and before the Lord speaks to the entire nation, he's speaking to Moses. He's preparing Moses to prepare the nation to prepare for encountering the Lord. Uh, the Lord says to Moses, uh, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make 
this nation into a holy people. I'm going to make this nation into a holy priesthood. I'm going to be their God. They are going to be my people. And we recognize that there's this intimacy and relationship that God desires with his people, something we rarely saw, unfortunately, in the masses of the nation of Israel, right? As Israel leaves the whole way to Mount Sinai, they're grumbling all the way there. Uh, immediately after they encounter the presence of the Lord at Mount Sinai and they hear the voice of the Lord, they cry out, we can't hear this anymore. This is going to kill us if we continue to hear the voice of the Lord. Uh, Moses, you go and get it and bring it back to us. And whatever he says, we'll do. Just you, we, we don't want to hear it anymore. You go deal with it. And then immediately afterwards, Moses goes to the mountain, goes up the mountain to receive the, the Asherah. He wrote the ten words carved on stone from the Lord. And uh, as he's up there for a couple of days too long, the nation gets a little uncomfortable. And rather than trusting faithfully in the Lord, they immediately build an idol. And they begin to worship the idol and say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Right? So we recognize that Israel as a whole, and I think Israel as a whole is a, a really good picture for all the rest of humanity too, as Israel is merely a nation from the nations. Uh, Goy HaGoyim is how we're worded quite often in scripture, a nation of the nations. Um, and we're just a smaller picture of the grander picture that God created uh, in humanity and that we allow by our choices to be uh, damaged and marred by the effect and the work of the enemy in our life. And so the nation very quickly turned their back on the Lord and then begin to blame God when things don't go the way they want it to. Right? Even in this Parsha, they begin to blame God because things get a little tougher for them rather than trusting God. He's already said, I'm going to bring you up on my uh, outstretched arm, which is a, an image of his might and his power of him having to fight for their freedom. But because it didn't happen instantaneously, they began to grumble and complain and whine and, uh, and ultimately in some way or another spiritually walked away from the Lord in these situations. And then as this continues on, uh, the, the rabbinic tradition actually says that each of the plagues leading up to and through the ninth plague, that each of the plagues lasted for about seven days. Whether or not that's 100% true or not, I can't tell you. I wasn't there. Um, but I can tell you that if it did last for about that long, I can imagine that about every week. Uh, Israel rejoices because Pharaoh says he's going to let him go. And then Israel grumbles and complains and flips the middle finger to the Lord because he didn't take him out right then and there. And how quickly we forget. And so here we see this intimacy that the Lord is saying he wants with his people. He wants to have a deeper relationship with us. And then he gives us uh, Moshe, he gives us Moses to be that example of what that relationship looks like. Again, picking up verse 7, I will take you to myself as a people and I will be your God. You will know that I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob and give it to you as an inheritance. I am Adonai. Verse 9, Moses spoke this way to Bnei Israel. But they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and cruel bondage. You remember in last week's partial when Moses and Aaron first come to Israel and they proclaim that God is going to bring freedom to them. The entire nation goes, yay, and they fall on their face to worship the Lord. And then they go to Pharaoh and they tell Pharaoh what the Lord has said. And, and Pharaoh goes, no, you guys are just a bunch of lazy idiots. I'm going to make your work harder. And then they make their work harder. And Israel goes, forget you, God, you're the worst. You haven't brought us freedom. So verse 10 Moses uh, says, so Adonai told Moses, go speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he will let B'nai Israel go out of this land. And again, that language there in the Hebrew is shalach et ami, send my people out. Not just let them go, but physically send them out intentionally, forcefully, <coughs> intentionally and forcefully send them out. 
Verse 12, but Moses said to Adonai, Ben Israel have not listened to me. The children of Israel have not listened to me. So how would Pharaoh listen to me? I, who have uncircumcised lips. So he's now talked to Israel. Israel didn't buy into it. He's talked to God saying to go talk to Pharaoh. And he's afraid Pharaoh's not going to buy into it. If his own people didn't buy into it and believe him, why in the world would Pharaoh believe him? So uh, verse 13, then Adonai spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave to, to them a charge for B'nai Israel, for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring B'nai Israel out of the land of Egypt. You know, one of the interesting things about intimacy, and as we're looking at this discussion of uh, intimacy between Moses and the Lord as an example for our own lives and our own relationship, um, if you've got an intimate relationship, uh, my wife and I have been married for 17 years now. We've been together for uh, uh, just a touch over 20 years total. And uh, I can tell you that our conversations are, you know, we, we have an intimate relationship. We're very close. We know each other very well. Uh, but our conversations are not always happy-go-lucky. Any other married couples have those kind of, anybody that's a kid with a parent that has those kind of conversations? Anybody that's a human that has interaction with other humans? You know, our conversations are not always as happy-go-lucky as we would like them to be, right? Uh, and so sometimes we have to vent, we have to, uh, and not necessarily about each other, but just things in life, things going on around us, sometimes we have to vent to each other. And we don't always, uh, you know, have those conversations where everything is, you know, you walk away from it afterwards and you just feel better, right? You don't always have that. Sometimes you just have to say, look, life sucks right now. And, and this is horrible and miserable and, and, and I just need you to hear me. I don't need you to try and fix it. I just need you to hear me, right? Intimacy is not just, and when we're talking with intimacy in the Lord, intimacy with the Lord is not just us being happy-go-lucky. We're, we're in the state of worship all the time. We're in this, but intimacy is sharing every detail, every aspect of our life with the one that we're intimate with. And so when we look at Moses here, Moses was very intimate with the Lord. And we saw in last week's portion, he argues with God five times at the burning bush, trying to talk God out of sending him. And each one is a complaint. And then we get here, and finally he goes to do it. But then we get here, and it sounds like he's complaining again, right? But I don't think he was actually complaining. I think he was just venting. He says, Lord, you know, you asked me to go do this thing. But these people aren't listening to me. They don't care about anything I have to say. If they're not listening to me, how in the world should I think that I have the ability to go talk to Pharaoh? Right? And I don't think the Lord's going up there, you stupid idiot, I told you to go do something. I think the Lord's going, no, no, it's okay. I get it. I know what you're dealing with. I see the problems that you're facing. I see all of this. I get it. No worries. But you need to go anyways. You don't have to understand, right? And that's the thing about our relationship with the Lord is he's going to tell us to do stuff. He's going to ask us to do stuff. He's going to do stuff in our life that we don't necessarily understand. You just have to trust it. Right? And with Danielle and I in our own marriage, there are things that one or the other of us is going to do for the betterment of our family that at the moment we may not understand. Right? And, and sometimes those conversations are, well, fine, just do whatever you think needs to be done. Right? And, and what you really mean is, that's stupid. That's never going to work. What are you talking about? But the reality is we are also willing to trust that each other is praying that we're not just in an intimate relationship together, but with the Lord. And that when we talk about the direction we're going for our family, that the Lord is leading this. And so we may not actually get what's happening. But if we're faithful to each other, we're faithful in our intimate relationship, we're faithful with the Lord, we start to see the beauty of the Lord's direction start to pan out in all of this. And so as we look at this, I think that the key 
to understanding Moses and, the, and particularly the key to understanding Moses in this period of our, our Parsha cycle is to understand that he is a prime example of intimacy across the board. Not just faithful willingness to do what the Lord says and asks, but also a faithfulness to be vulnerable and to say, God, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Anybody ever had those moments where you cried out to God? Like, I just, I, I don't get it. Like, you're supposed to love me. You're, we talked about it last week, right? Last week, we, we talked about that, that infamous question. If, if God is good, why does he let bad stuff happen, right? We don't have to understand what's going on around us. We don't have to understand what God's doing. We just have to trust him. And we have to understand that sometimes some of the stuff we're going to, going through, isn't because of God. It isn't because of us. It's because of other people, right. right? And when we're going through stuff because of other people, it's important to understand that God still wants that intimate relationship where we can lean on him. Because even in the midst of something that we didn't cause and that he didn't cause, he's still faithful for his good to come from it, right? That's the problem with humanity is God gave us free will and we were stupid enough to use it. <clears throat> and sometimes other people's free will infringes upon ours. Uh, and so what I honestly think the Lord, and, and we talked about this last week, uh, that you know, I've been praying for the Lord to give us direction as a community for this year, right, for 2019, because uh, the, we're, we're growing, we're seeing God do awesome things in our midst, but I really feel like as a community, something there, there's something else the Lord is trying to do. We've talked about it in worship for a while, um, and, uh, and, and interpersonal relationships within the congregation with, with uh, numerous people over and over again. And I think the thing that the Lord is calling us as a congregation to, and I pray that you're willing to go on this journey with us, is to a deeper intimacy with him. And I think that that's the, the, the beauty about these, this partial is we see this, this humility in Moses. We see this deep relationship, this deep intimacy that he has with the Lord. We see with Abraham. We see it with Isaac. We eventually kind of sort of, sort of see it with Jacob. Um, it, it took a while. It took a number of, of, of encounters. It took a number of things to happen. But he finally kind of sort of got around there. We see it with Isaiah. We see it with Jeremiah. We see it with Joshua. We see it with David. We see it with Solomon. We see it with Yeshua. We see it with the Talmudim, the disciples. There's this intimacy that's necessary. There's this relational aspect, and, and you got to understand, it's not just intimacy with the Lord, but also within the community that God has assigned us to be a part of. Intimacy within the community is of great value and importance, and when we look at intimacy, it's important to understand that there's so much that wraps up in that concept. There's so much that's necessary to have that kind of a relationship that goes beyond understanding, that goes really, really deep emotionally. And most of you that know me know I'm not generally an emotional kind of guy. Um, you know, I'm not going to stop and tell you my feelings about everything going on around me. I'm not going to just randomly start bawling. I'm not going to, you know, have these crazy uh, mood swings and such. Um, I'm, I'm just me. But intimacy requires a vulnerability, even in our emotions, being willing to communicate, being willing to be there. And I think that's the beauty of what we see with Moses here is there's that, that willingness to just tell God, look, I don't get it. Like Israel, your people, they don't buy into it. They don't believe what I'm saying. So how do I know Mo that Pharaoh is? And I imagine that although the scripture doesn't tell us Moses continued to have the same conversation with them, I imagine that each time that Moses left Pharaoh after one of the plagues was stopped and Pharaoh goes, ha ha, joke's on you. I imagine Moses and his heart's going, dude, seriously? Kind of felt like this was the one. 
you know, the, the death of the, the livestock, I kind of felt like that should have been the final punch, but I guess we're going to go deeper. Right? Oh, everything's pitch black. I guess we're still going deeper. Oh, wow, firstborn just died. Ooh. I hope that's it, because I don't know that I can handle much deeper than that guy. Um, and, and I imagine that each time that this goes down, that Moses is, at least in his own heart, if not uh, verbally before the Lord, having the same kind of interaction. God, what's going on? What's going on? And the Lord's saying, don't worry, I got this. Just trust me. Just trust me. Just trust me. We see in, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, as we see Samuel, the, the prophet, uh, his parents have struggled to have kids. Finally, he comes along. His mother had cried out to the Lord at the temple one day, hey, uh, if you finally give me a kid, I will dedicate him in service as a Nazarite to you in the service of the, the tabernacle for all of his life. And the Lord gives her a child, and when she's weaned the child, she brings him to the, the tabernacle uh, in Shiloh, and he's serving under Eli, the high priest, and as he's serving under him, he's asleep in the, tabern in the, the, the quarters. Uh, beginning with verse 1 says, Now the boy Samuel was in the service of Adonai under Eli. In those days, the word of Adonai was rare. There, was no vision. there, there were no visions breaking through. One day, Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyes had grown dim so that he could not see. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Samuel was lying down in Adonai's temple where the ark of God was. Then Adonai called, Samuel. So he answered, here I am. Again, he named me. Then he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. Right? He hears the voice of the Lord. And he runs to Eli and he goes, oh, hey, you're the high priest. What's up? What you need? And Eli calls back. I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. Leave me alone. Try to sleep. Say that a lot to my kids. Leave me alone, Charles. Uh, so he went back and laid down. Verse 6. Then Adonai called Samuel yet again. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I didn't call you, my son. Go back to sleep. Now Samuel had not experienced Adonai yet, since the word of Adonai had not yet been revealed to him. Adonai called Samuel again for the third time. So he got up, went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And I imagine this time his attitude's a little bit different. Look. Stop playing games with me, dude. I was asleep, too. You think you're special. Tell me what you want. Paraphrasing, by the way. <laughs> then Eli perceived that Adonai was calling the boy. So Eli said to Samuel, go back to sleep. And if he calls you, say, speak, Adonai, for your servant is listening. Oh, how massively necessary it is that we understand those words. The key to, one of the keys to intimacy is Listening. Listening. Not just talking, not talking over, not mansplaining, listening. Just listen. So he says, speak out an eye for your servant is listening. So Samuel went back and laid down in his place. Then Samuel came and stood and called as at the other time. Samuel, I'm sorry, then out an eye came and stood and called as at the other time. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. Then out an eye said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone that hears it will tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And so finally, the voice of the Lord is heard among Israel again. It says at the beginning of this chapter that for some time, Israel had grown used to the Lord being quiet. No more dreams, no more visions, no more judges speaking for the Lord over them. And here the Lord begins to anoint Samuel not only as a prophet, but in essence as the last judge of Israel. 
Whether or not he was specifically called a judge, that is the function he operated in as the prophet of Adonai in his day up until he anoints Saul as king. And so what we recognize here is that Samuel has this, this relationship with the Lord beginning to develop. He was already dedicated as a Nazarite. So there was already something about his life and his service to the Lord and the way he lived that was just a little bit deeper than all the rest of the tribes of Israel. Not quite as far as the priesthood, but something a little bit deeper than the, the rest of, of Israel. But here it goes even deeper as the Lord calls out to him and he cries out, He named me, here I am, Lord, speak so that I may listen. Samuel lived in a time when the nation of Israel was, had grown accustomed to not hearing the Lord. And I imagine, quite frankly, had grown accustomed to doing whatever the heck they wanted and we see that with Eli, and we see that with his sons. And as a matter of fact, the prophecy that is spoken through Samuel to Eli that he's scared to death to tell Eli is that the Lord is going to end Eli's reign as a high priest because of the actions of his sons and the way that they served the nation of Israel by taking advantage of them. And so we see this encounter where the, the, he cries out to the Lord, I just want to hear you. I just want to listen. What do you want? And it begins this journey for Samuel, much like with Moses. Where he goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And the Lord uses him quite often in points that he didn't understand. Right? As uh, Israel cries out for a king and he loses it and blows a fuse. What are you doing? Do you understand how stupid you are? Do you understand that Adonai is supposed to be your king? Yet here you are asking for a king. But don't you worry. You're an idiot and God's going to give you what you want so that you know that you're an idiot. Again, paraphrasing. That's kind of the way I read it. Um, Maybe that's because how, that's how God talks to me sometimes. You're an idiot. I'm trying to, no, uh, and so he, he cries out to him, what are you doing? You're asking for a king that the Lord is supposed to be your king. But you know what? You ask for it. You get what you ask for. Here you go. God's going to give you exactly what you asked for. And he gave them what they thought a king should have been. And it ended up being nearly detrimental to the nation of Israel. And then finally, Samuel's called to go look for another king. And as he goes out this time, he goes and... The Lord says, now I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to give them my expectation of what a leader of Israel should be. My thoughts on what it should be. Not what they want, but what I want. Then he gives them David. Not only does he give them David, but Samuel goes to Jesse, David's father's house, and says, Hey, this is where the Lord directed me. One of your sons is supposed to be king. Bring them all out in front of me. And Jesse brings most of them out. And Samuel's looking a lot over and he goes, oh, these dudes all kind of look like the last guy. You know, they're all big. They're all strong. They're all, I don't, God said he's doing something new. Like, what's going on? He goes, Jesse, do you, do you have any more children? Jesse goes, oh, yeah, I got another kid, but he's a run. He's out the field. He's, eh, he's not going to amount to anything. And Samuel goes, oh, no, no, bring him, bring him, bring him. I want to see this. And here comes David. And as David's walking up and he's this little kid, he's lanky, he's young. He spends all his time uh, singing music to the lambs and the sheep and, uh, and, and herding the flocks. And uh, I'm making it up as I go at this point. I'm imagining because I wasn't actually there. Um, and so as, as David walks up, the Lord speaks to Samuel. And Samuel goes, no, nah, this is the one. This is the one. Notice his own father didn't think enough of him to go, oh, yeah, maybe I should lie to him. But he says, this is the one. And if we pay attention to the narrative of who Yeshua is when he walked on earth, the scripture says he wasn't much that anybody else would have thought anything of him. And if you notice quite often the greatest people that the Lord uses for his purposes generally are people that don't think so much of themselves. They're generally people that the rest of society doesn't think so much about. They're generally the last thing we would expect 
But this is what God has called. And these people generally are the people that are most willing to be humble in their intimate relationship with the Lord. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Yeshua said in response, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and discerning and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was pleasing to you. All that have been handed over to me by my father. No one, no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from you, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Yeshua says, come to me. I want you to come running to me. I want you to come and let me wrap my arms around you. This has been the call of the Lord to the people of God and to all of his creation since the foundations of creation. Long before we ever had a chance to sin, his cry was always, come to me. Come to me. Let me wrap my arms around you. Let me love on you. Anybody who has an intimate and personal relationship, whether it's uh, a marriage or it's a, a, a parent and child or a grandparent and child, you'll know sometimes there's nothing that can solve the world's problem better than a hug from the person that loves you. There's nothing that can fix everything around you faster and better than just having those arms wrapped around you in loving embrace. And the Lord's standing there saying, look, I got it. I'm ready for you. Just come running. Hebrews 4.14, therefore, since we have a great Kohen Gadol, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Yeshua ben Elohim, let us hold firmly to our confessed allegiance. For we do not have a Kohen Gadol who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all the same ways, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near to the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help. In the time of need, I think a lot of times we get wrapped up in our own heads instead of turning to God faithfully with the the love and the passion, with the humility and the desire of intimacy that he wants to have with us. We get wrapped up in our own head. We're too worried about what's going on around us. We're too focused on our own failures. We're too focused on the way people have hurt us or harmed us. We're too focused on what other people may think. We're too focused on all of this external stuff that has nothing at all to do with our relationship with the Lord. But instead, generally, are things that the enemy uses as hurdles in our way to keep us from that intimate place, to keep us from that place of deep and total relationship with the Lord. As I said earlier, I believe that in this Parsha and ultimately throughout this year for our community, the Lord is calling us to a deeper intimacy with him, to a deeper discipleship. I can't think of a greater reality about discipleship than the fact that true discipleship is intimacy. Think about Yeshua. Even at the final Pesach Seder, when he was waiting for what he knew was inevitably coming, which was his own immediate death, he took the time to have an intimate meal with his, with his, his Tamadim, his disciples, his friends, his brothers. He leaned back against them and rested. He even intimately related with the one that he knew in just a few minutes was going to sell him out. 
He wants nothing more than intimacy with us, even in the midst of trial and tribulation, in the midst of turmoil. Following a, uh, a calling from God requires intimacy. If God puts a call in your heart, a purpose that he has given you, something that he wants you to do, you're not going to be successful in it unless you're intimate with him. If you've been called to bring prophecy forth as Samuel was, he would never have been successful if he wasn't intimate and humble with the Lord. He would have never been able to do what God asked if he wasn't faithful in his intimacy. And in closing, I think there are four very important things about intimacy that we must grasp in order to learn to walk in truth of intimacy with the Lord. And I'm not going to say that these are a concise list by any means, because there's always more the Lord's going to do in each and every one of our lives independently. But these are things that overall that we should all be constantly walking within. Or else we are not going to truly experience the depth of intimacy that he wants with us. The first is that we must listen to his voice. This begins with uh, intentional and regular time in the word. Yeshua says that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. One of the primary ways, as we say every week in our Torah service, one of the primary ways that he speaks to us is through his word. Everything we could ever want to know about God's will and his way is already here. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have more that he wants to speak into our lives individually and independently. But everything that we need to know is already here. And if we are to know our shepherd's voice, we must actually be listening to it daily, intentionally, regularly. We must be in his word faithfully. Because if you're not if you don't have that intimate relationship with his word, that you know his voice, your shepherd's voice, when the enemy comes and begins to speak into your life, and a lot of times, I know we don't like to admit it, a lot of times the enemy likes to sound like God. He likes to mimic the ways of God. He likes to make us think it is the Lord speaking, when in reality it is not. And in reality, it's the enemy trying to destroy us. So in order to know your shepherd's voice, you must be in his word regularly so that you recognize it. Number two, we must be intentional uh, in prayer, faithfully and regularly. We must be intentionally in prayer, faithfully and regularly. And along with that, uh, the next one runs hand in hand. We must shut up and listen. Prayer does not require us to speak the whole time. This is a relationship and we have to be quiet to hear him. When my wife and I are in a conversation, uh, and I'm not going to say I'm always great at this because I'm a dude and we're really not good listeners. But when my wife and I are in a conversation, in order for me to actually converse with her and her with me, every once in a while we've got to shut up and stop talking long enough to hear and it's amazing when you're talking with somebody and you randomly cut in and take over the conversation or try to finish what they're saying or you try to get ahead of them. You'll never actually understand what they're trying to say and you'll leave that conversation way more annoyed than you should have been. And the same is true with the Lord. The same is true with the Lord. If he's trying to speak to us and we're constantly jumping in, right? How often do we, we find ourselves in prayer in a moment of pause and we're trying to find the next word and we're... Oh, Lord, we, uh, Father, I, um, God, I, I, um, Lord, I, 
Your spirit is so, um, Lord, I, those are great moments. When you don't know what else to say, just stop saying. But take the time to shut up and listen. And then the final uh, point to this, the final key for uh, intimacy with the Lord is we must be intentional about being in worship. We must be intentional about being in worship. Paul says that our lives should be a living sacrifice. We should not just pray without ceasing. We should also be in worship without ceasing. Every breath that we take should be to elevate the name of the Lord on high. Every thought that we have should be submitted in worship before him. If we don't, the world around us sees it. And there's a lot of believers who I wholeheartedly believe truly and completely trust in Yeshua's salvation. But they don't have an intimate relationship with the Lord. They put on a good show. They do what they think they're supposed to do. They do what everybody else does. But they don't walk in intimacy. They don't have that relationship. We see this play out in numbers when Miriam and Aaron complain and mumble against Moses. And they say, what if Moses thinks he's so much better than us. Does the Lord not speak through us also? And the Lord says, look, you guys are right. I speak to you. I speak through you. But when I speak through you and through other prophets, it's through dreams and visions. But when I speak to Moses, it says a man speaks to a man face to face. And the Lord wants for each and every one of us washed by the blood of the Lamb that we have that Moses-like intimacy with Him. That we have an intimacy so deep that He speaks to us face to face as a man speaks to a man. He wants us to have an intimacy so deep that every thought and every action that we have is led by Him. That doesn't mean that we don't have our own free will, but that we submit our will to His will. That we submit our faithfulness to trusting him to bring about what he says he's going to do in our lives and through our lives for his purpose and his kingdom. And one of the things I love about Moses as we continue through this journey as uh, Israel is finally coming towards that moment of redemption from slavery in Egypt is that in spite of everything that Israel does, in spite of everything that they say against the Lord, in spite of everything that's happening around them. Moses never leads Israel astray. Moses never walks away from his intimacy with the Lord. The one time that he acts out, he acts out out of zeal for the Lord. He doesn't act out of his own aggression and anxiety and pains and anger. He acts out of zeal because he recognizes that he's got such a deep love for the Lord. Yet here's the Lord's children, the Lord's people that are just crapping all over his name. And he revolts out of zeal. Now that zeal was ill-placed. It wasn't necessarily the zeal of the Lord, as we can see from what ensues from there. But there's something to that intimacy with the Lord. That we have a zeal and a passion for seeing his name glorified no matter what. And stopping all of the mess around us that's causing damage to his name. As I've said before... I believe wholeheartedly that sin is anything that we do that damages the image and likeness of our creator that he's called us to be. And it's important that in a relationship of intimacy, that we change our ways and align them with his so that we don't damage his image and likeness in our lives that others see. 
Just as in my relationship with my wife, I go out of my way to not damage what people think of her or see her as, how they talk about her. I try my hardest to make sure that my wife is always elevated in that sense. That I put her first and foremost, that I think about what I say before I say it around other people so that they don't think less of her. I wish I'd think that much about myself sometimes. I let myself get my words get ahead of my own thoughts and sometimes don't necessarily take the same care with me, but I do with my wife. And even more so as believers, we should take the same care and even greater to make sure that not just our actions, our words, and our deeds glorify him, but that everything that we do enhances his image and likeness in our lives so that others around us will want the same depth of intimacy that we have. And that was the beauty about the second generation of Israel as they witnessed it in not just Moses, but in Joshua as well. And at least in the early bits, the second generation of Israel was wholeheartedly on fire for trusting the Lord and gave him their all. And so I want to encourage you today in closing that you truly and wholeheartedly find that place of intimacy. Find that place of discipleship that just goes that much deeper. Throughout this year that as a community and as individuals within this community, that we will not only take that next step in depth and intimacy and discipleship, but that we will hold each other accountable that we will hold each other accountable to make sure that we're, we're sticking to those, those points that are so important for intimacy. That we're uplifting each other and encouraging each other. That we call each other out. Not necessarily in a negative way, but that we call each other out when we realize that what we're doing isn't in alignment with what the Lord is doing. And I want to encourage you, as you go deeper, not to get, get discouraged when the Lord starts to clear stuff out of your life. That's not in his image and likeness. Because if you're willing to humbly submit yourself in that way, he will. He's going to put the fire to you. He's going to purify you with the crucible. And what comes out on the other side is going to be so much stronger. And your depth of love and relationship is going to be so much greater. But you've got to be willing to submit and to humbly trust his faithfulness. For a lot of us, that may be difficult, but it's necessary to truly honor what the Lord has done through the blood atonement of Messiah. Abraham, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Lord, I ask that as we move forward from here, that Lord, as we go out into the world around us and leave this place, that we leave refreshed and renewed, prepared to dive deeper with you, prepared to understand you greater, prepared to shut up and listen prepared to receive from you and to go forth making sure that we truly are honoring and glorifying you in everything so that we can be used by you to make Talmudim disciples of all men. Lord, I pray that you move mightily upon each and every one of our hearts, that we will give you everything completely and wholeheartedly submitted before you. And Lord, that you will take us to that deeper place that we will see you face to face as a man speaks to a man. In the name of Yeshua Messiah we pray and everyone says, Amen.